sung, there is a river whose streams delight the city of our God, a river whose waters flow to the ends of the earth. We look forward to discussing this uh, this morning as we continue our study in 1 Kings. 1 Kings, we come to, again, chapter 7. We finish what we uh, started last time. We spoke of these things together a couple of weeks ago, uh, the furnishings of the temple that Solomon built. So we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 23 through 51, which will also be our text. 1 Kings 7, 23 through 51. Uh, This is page 286, 286 in the Pew Bibles. Beloved, hear now the word of our mighty God. He also made the ten stands of bronze. Each stand was four cubits long, four cubits wide, and three cubits high. This was the construction of the stands. They had panels, and the panels were set in the frames. And on the panels that were set in the frames were lions, oxen, and cherubim. On the frames, both above and below the lines and oxen, there were wreaths of beveled work. Moreover, each stand had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze, and at the four corners were supports for a basin. The supports were cast with wreaths at the side of each. Its opening was with a crown that pointed upward one cubit. Its opening was round, as a pedestal is made a cubit and a half deep. At its opening there were carvings, and its panels were square, not round. The four wheels were underneath the panels. The axles of the wheels were of one piece with the stands, and the height of a wheel was a, was a cubit and a half. The wheels were made like a chariot wheel. Their axles, their rims, their spokes, and their hubs were all cast. There were four supports at the four corners of each stand. The supports were of one piece with the stands. And on top of the stands, there was a round band, half a cubit high. And at the top of the stand, its stays, its panel, were of one piece with it. And on the surfaces of its stays and on its panels, he carved cherubim, lions, and palm trees, according to the space of each, with wreaths all around. After this manner, he made the ten stands. All of them were cast alike, of each the same measure and the same form." And he made ten basins of bronze. Each basin held forty baths. Each basin measured four cubits. And there was a basin for each of the ten stands. And he set the stands, uh, set the stands five on the south side of the house and five on the north side of the house. And he set the sea at the southeast corner of the house. Hiram also made the pots, the shovels, and the basins. And so Hiram finished all the work that he did for King Solomon in the house of the Lord the two pillars, the two bowls of the capitals that were on top of the pillars, and the two lattice works to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the tops of the pillars, and the 400 pomegranates for the two lattice works, two rows of pomegranates for each lattice work to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the pillars, the 10 stands and the 10 basins on the stands, and the sea and the 12 oxen underneath the sea. Now the pots, the shovels, and the basins, all these vessels in the house of the Lord, which Hiram made for King Solomon, were burnished bronze. In the plain of the Jordan, the king cast them, and the clay ground around or between Succoth and Zarethan. 
Solomon left all these vessels unweighed because there was so many of them. The weight of the bronze was not ascertained. So Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord, the golden altar, the golden table for the place of the presence, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the south side, five on the north, before the inner sanctuary, the flowers, the lamps, the, 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 and the tongs of gold, the cups, the snuffers, the basins, the dishes for the incense, the firepans of pure gold, and the sockets of gold for the doors of the innermost part of the house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the nave of the temple. Thus all the work that King Solomon did in the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. As for the reading of God's holy word, may add his blessing to it this morning as we meditate upon it. Beloved, over the past several weeks, we've been taking a look at King Solomon's building projects. The temple, the dwelling place of God, and Solomon's palace. We've, note, we've noted that these two structures, the temple and the palace, they go together because they reflect the character and the might of our holy God. The God who is beautiful and lovely. The God who is holy, who is mighty, who is majestic, who is transcendent far above us. He's the savior of his people. He's the mighty king, the creative builder, the one who builds not just on a local scale, but the one who builds on a a cosmic scale. The one whose building project is ongoing and which will come to a culmination at the return of King Jesus who is building and preparing a place for us right now and will reveal his work to us when he returns. We noted also that as a person was coming up to this temple and coming up to this place, the architecture would speak to them, spoke to us. We could gaze at the glory of the temple from a distance as we journeyed towards it, its magnificence, its imposing structure. We saw the king's palace with its hall of justice where the king would execute justice and render judgments with implications for the whole world. And then back at the temple, we saw its splendor as we began to walk inside the gold, the cedar, the intricate carvings and the artwork that brought our minds back to the Garden of Eden and pointed forward to that glorious time when we will dwell in God in that permanent and beautiful garden in the new creation. We saw altars for blood sacrifices for atonement for sin. We saw the Holy of Holies where only the, the high priest could enter the place where the Ark of the Covenant would rest between statues of cherubim imposing and giant whose wings together extended from one wall of that place to the other. But beloved, as repentant sinners, we were comforted as we entered into this glorious, beautiful temple, this magnificent temple, as we remember the names of the pillars as the entrance as we passed between them. Joaquin, he will establish, he will establish and fulfill his covenant that is God, fulfill his covenant promises to Abraham, to Adam, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David. The other one, Boaz, in him is strength, remembering God is the one who conquers, who uplifts, who upholds the weak and weary, the God who redeems his people and restores their inheritance, just as Solomon's great-grandfather Boaz did, the, the redeeming husband of Ruth, the Moabitess, 
the foreigner grafted into God's people by God's grace? It should resonate with each and every one of us. But today, beloved, we come to some furnishing, some furnishing that is equally beautiful and equally comforting for those who trust in Christ. We come to the sea, the peaceful, silent sea of crystal, the still and quiet waters. But notice they're not just still and quiet. They don't just remain there. They flow. They flow from the throne of God for the peace of the world and the cleansing of sinners like you and me. And so our theme will be this as we continue our second half of uh, the sermon from two weeks ago. The temple furnishings point us to the attributes and the work of God. Last time we saw the mighty pillars. Today we see the cleansing sea and we reflect upon the completed work. We see the cleansing sea and then we reflect. So let's take a look then, beloved, at this sea. Verse 23 of our text tells us what it was. This sea was a giant bull-like structure. One, it was cast with bronze. That's the material that Hiram was working with. Two, it was 10 cubits brim to brim, or it had a diameter of 15 feet. This is a large, a large bull. And it was five cubits high or about eight foot tall. It was a huge basin. It could hold about 12,000 gallons or 22,000 liters of water. So again, we see that God cares about the details. Each and every one of them filled with symbolism, pointing us to something that we should see about God, about his character, about his work. Verse 24, again, we we see this garden structure. The brim of this sea, of this basin, is surrounded by gourds. And we notice in a a previous uh, discussion together that it's not just like the the gourds that we see on the cornucopia at Thanksgiving time. No, this is luscious fruit carved around the the top of this basin, meant to evoke that image of the garden and, and, and plenty and fruitfulness. Paradise. The point is that this sea, with it sitting on high with these, these gourds around it, is that this sea sits in the midst of a beautiful and glorious garden. Again, notice that, that garden imagery is there all over the text. Verse 26, the brim was made like the brim of a cup, like the flower of a lily. And as you look at this giant sea, this giant basin congregation, notice what supports it doesn't just sit there and stand there on its own it sits and it stands upon something verse 25 read with me there it stood on 12 oxen three facing north and three facing west and three facing south and three facing east the sea was set on them and all their rear parts were inwards and kids what does that mean if you have a bunch of animals and they're pointing to all direction and their rear parts are inwards It means that their heads are pointed out. Their heads are looking in all directions. Why is that important? Well, two things. One, the fact that the bulls are, 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 that these bulls are supported uh, of this, this fresh and peaceful water 
that it reminds us first of that fresh and peaceful water that cleanses God's people, that, that quenches their thirst. But beloved, it also reminds us of what the cost of that fresh water coming to us is. A fresh water sea, a calm, peaceful sea sits there before us to, to refresh our souls, but it sits upon bulls, bulls in a temple. And children, what would happen to bulls in the temple? Their blood would be shed. The only way that this bowl of life-giving, peace-giving water can come to us is it's on the foundation of bulls whose blood would be shed for the complete forgiveness of our sins, pointing to what? The blood of Christ. But then also notice, as I said, the orientation, the, the ways in which the, the, these bulls face Yes, the, 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 the peaceful water is, is on the foundation of bulls. But as we said, bulls that, that head face outward. They point in the four directions, north, south, east, west. In other words, these bulls point out the life-giving water to the entire world. This wasn't just about the temple. This wasn't just about Israel. This wasn't just about Jerusalem. This is something for the world to see. The bulls look to the four corners of the world, the entire world, every corner of it, every man, every woman, every child are called to humble themselves, to come to the presence of God, to come to the dwelling place of God in humility and in faith, to come to the place where he dwells, not in their own strength, but to experience that cleansing that only God can give and to have their thirst of their parched souls quenched by only the water that he can give. And we know that this is what the Lord is pointing to because again, look at verse 26 of our text. We noted the lilies just a moment ago from verse 26, but notice that verse 26 says that the brim of this, of, of this glorious sea, this glorious bowl, it's like, it's like what? The brim of a, of a cup something that's meant to be drinking from, something that's meant to pour out its water and to, and to refresh. In the sudden, unimportant detail, this is intentional. Beloved, this tells us who our God is, what his mission is, what he desires for you, what he desires for me, what he desires for the nations. And just like Israel of old who would journey up to the temple singing the songs of ascent, remembering the mighty acts of God, the redemption through the Red Sea, joyfully speaking of these things together, glorying in these things together, beloved, we too have the opportunity to find a joy in the cleansing of our souls, the satisfaction of our thirst to sing of these things, to speak of these things, to point our souls to these things, the satisfaction of our thirst, to point our family and our friends and our coworkers to the only place where we can find peace with God. It's the only place where we can find cleansing, the only place where we can find life-giving water. Even those thousands of years ago, our God was pointing out 
that his building plan, his kingdom, was not limited to the little nation state of Israel. His work was for the repentance and the faith of the faith of people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Because notice how many bowls there were. We talked about the direction. We talked about the other foundation for this water, but there's 12 of them. 12 for the 12 tribes of true Israel. True Israel, people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. This has been God's plan all along to bring the nations in, that the water would flow to them. Think of Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 67, verses 4 and 5. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That's why this water goes forth to all the nations, that all people would praise God. We see the spreading of this water from the temple in verses 27 through 40. There we see 10 water-carrying stands, a stand with a, a bowl, a vessel on top of it. Verse 27 says that there's 10 of them, and they're, they're four cubits long, four cubits wide, three cubits high. And so this means that they're six foot by six foot by five foot tall. And then comes an onslaught of detail that we can barely even take in as we read through these verses. We don't have time to get into every single detail, but they are all significant, beloved. And so we don't lose the forest to the trees. I want us to, to take a helicopter view over these verses so that you can see the big picture of what's going on here. Again, just like with everything else that we've seen in the temple and in the palace, we see in verses 28 and, and 29 that these are not just plain, boring old boxes. Hiram didn't just quick throw them together. They're decorated with, with lions, with oxen, with cherubim, with wreaths, even we read. Beloved, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the temple and the palace, they go together. They must. Because they point to the one who is the priest king. And that is our God. So not only do we see in the temple things of beauty. Again, we talk about the garden imagery and, and the water and all those beautiful things. But even here in the temple, there are things that point not just to the presence of God, but to the power and the might of God as a glorious king. Hence the lions, the oxen, the wreaths. Yes, our God is merciful and kind and patient and tender and loving, but he is also marvelous. He's high above us. He is transcendent. He's all-powerful, all-holy, all-glorious. He is not someone to be trifled with. He's not someone to be taken lightly. And yet, because of the blood sacrifice that were made, 
there in the temple that pointed to the ultimate blood sacrifice of Christ, because of that redeeming work that God alone can do, well, now water flows from the heart of the temple, from the heart of the place where the presence of God dwells outward to the four corners of the world for the healing of the nations. Not just on the whim of some man does this mission happen. But as we see in these details, this happens on the authority of the King of Kings, God himself, the Lord of Lords. The imagery that would be on these pillars, the stands holding these water basins would leave no doubt. And then in verses 30 through 37, we, we see something that sounds a bit strange to us, perhaps. Children, did you catch on what, what's on the, the bottom of these stands that carry the water? There's wheels there. There's wheels on the support stands. But they're not just regular wheels. Notice verse 33, that their axles and their rims and their spokes and their hubs, they were all cast. Again, meaning that, that these were intricately made by Hiram out of bronze. The sea, that huge basin is glorious. The stands that bring the water out to the world are glorious. And even the wheels that can move the stands are beautiful and glorious. But more than that, beloved, it means that these waters are mobile. It means that the water, this life-giving, life-cleansing water doesn't remain here in the temple. It's about to go out to the world. It can and it will go anywhere and everywhere. This healing, cleansing, thirst-quenching water is not meant to remain in the temple. It's meant to flow to the nation's even Leduc, Alberta, Canada, in the year 2024. This is the mission of the God. This, our God, this is the saving mission. This is the gospel. This is our God. The fact that the sea is there, a, a peaceful sea, that the bowls point to the four corners of the world. The fact that the water-carrying stands are on wheels all point to the fact that the gospel must and will go everywhere. But finally, look at the placement of these, of these things. He set the stands, five on the south side of the house and five on the north side of the house. And he set the sea, the southeast corner of the house. We, we all can't always perfectly understand these things in our minds. We all don't have those spatially oriented minds. But scripture helps us out. Why should we care? Why is this significant to us? If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 47. This is page 735. Ezekiel uh, chapter 47, we'll read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll drop down to verse 8 and read through 12. 
Ezekiel being given of being of a vision of the temple of the Lord. And he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was, water was issuing from the below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. And then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. Behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. And then dropping down to verse 8. This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be many fish. For this water goes there and the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live wherever the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From getting to Galilee, there will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and its marshes will, marshes will not become fresh. They are left for salt. And on the banks and both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. Because the water from, for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Beloved, you and I now live in a time where the temple that was pointed to, where, where the things that Solomon's temple pointed to are being fulfilled in our very presence. What a glorious time to be alive. Do we see it in its fullness yet? No. We know that all too well, don't we? But I promise you it will come in its fullness. Full healing will take place. Full restoration will happen. The God presented in the temple, represented in the temple, represented in the glory of the king in his palace, that God is alive and well at work. And that God, that king is successful in his mission. Make no doubt about it. And so then we end by briefly reflecting on the completed work. What we take away from verses 40 through 51 is how utterly, abundantly complete, how fulsome, how lavish, how luxurious the work done in the temple was. Why? So that we can take comfort in how utterly complete and fulsome and lavish and luxurious our salvation is. How kind, how gracious our God is. It gives us hope for the completion that will be in full at the return of Christ, our King. We're reminded of the beautiful pillars of the fact that there were thousands of, of carved and cast images of, of pomegranates we read, thousands of them, flowers, latticework, cleansing waters, powerful oxen. And notice, beloved, even in this description that the shovels and the other utensils made in the temple and for the temple were of intricate bronze work. There was nothing, 
no details that were left up for the imagination. Everything was done beautifully with intent and in glory. Think of Ezekiel's words, a fresh water sea teeming with fish, teeming with life. Fresh water causing the ground to produce an abundance of luscious fruit and vegetables. Leaves for healing. Water that flows from the sanctuary of God alone. So let me ask you, have you tasted that water? Have you drinking deeply of that water? You see, whatever you are going through right now, and many of us are going going through things, we always are. We're on this side of glory. We're on this side of the return of Christ. We have hope, but not every tear has been wiped away yet. It will be. Not every wound has been healed fully, but it will be. Beloved, today, whatever you're going through, Christ offers you not only cleansing from your sin by his blood, which is better than the blood of any bull or or goat, even those bulls that held up that peaceful sea. His blood offered a better word. Not only is Christ able to do this for you, to be your atoning sacrifice, but Christ is the king. Christ is the lion of Judah. Christ is destroying all your enemies and mine and his, the churches. Even now, Christ is declaring declaring you and me righteous and just in his hall of justice far greater than the hall of justice of Solomon. And there he's condemning our enemies to eternal death. Christ is the living water who cleanses you, who washes you, who satisfies you, and who calls you to come and to drink deeply. Drink deeply of the only water that cleanses and that satisfies. Beloved, this is your God. This is his mission of grace. This is his mission of mercy, of peace, of dominion. And it has and it will be utterly successful. Nothing will thwart it. And so come, come, dwell in the presence of the God who has come to save and to dwell with his people for all of eternity. Amen. O Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the sovereign one. You leave nothing to chance. Even the utensils and the, and the shovels made for your ancient temple, ancient temple paid careful attention to detail, made of, of bronze. Father, we even hear the echoes of the words of of Zechariah, the prophet, who saw that glorious day of the Lord. And he said that in that day, even the bells on the horses would read, holy to the Lord. Father, there is nothing that is outside of your sight, outside of your vision, outside of your sovereign care.
outside of your saving grace and mercy. So, Father, we ask that you would create in us hearts that are drawn to drink deeply from this water, the healing waters, based upon the foundation of the blood of Christ shed for people of every tribe and tongue and nation who come to you in repentance and in faith. O Lord, that we can stand in your hall of justice and be declared righteous because of this for the sake of Christ. Father, we know that if we do not come up to, to, your, to your holy mountain, we try to come on our own, and we know a world that so desperately tries to come on its own. Father, for them, that hall of justice will be a place of terror and, and condemnation. But just like Israel of old would travel towards their, on their pilgrim way to your house to speak of your redeeming acts, Father, give us utterance to speak of your redeeming acts that we can offer that cup of cool water, not just in a physical way that offers, uh, that offers um, relief from, from physical thirst, but, Father, that we can offer that cup of cool water that, 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 that fills and satisfies the eternal thirst within our souls and the souls of our families and our friends, our coworkers. Lord, you are the one who has the words of life. You are the bread of life. You are the life-giving water. You have given us a life-giving spirit. So, Father, we praise you. We fall on our faces and we worship you. Father, may that worship be part of everything that we do. Fill us with joy and fill us with gladness. Father, do this for your honor and glory. Lord, we ask these things through Christ, our high priest, our redeemer, and our king. Amen.